Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ellie. You may be seated. Well, I do want to say that honor is important part of culture, and it should be an part, important part of your walk with God. And I think you, you might think that honor goes to the person that you're honoring, but it actually uh, serves yourself as well. So I would really encourage you to have that spirit of honor. This is not about trying to make me feel good. This is creating an atmosphere where we honor people instead of pull people down, say bad things about them behind their back. We encourage them instead. Amen. Awesome. Well, are you excited? My outfit today, I call, I call fallen leaf on the road. I look good, don't I? Uh, amen. <laughs> Should I pray first? I'll tell my first story first. Pray. I might need to pray after my first story. <laughs> no, I won't need to. God, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you, Lord, for what's happening in this house. Lord, we're excited about next week. But we're just as excited about today because you're here today. And we know that you are moving today. And we know that a breakthrough or a life change moment can happen today. And so, God, we open up our hearts for everything that you want to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I just want to say that I was in worship today, and I did feel in my heart, I don't know how to articulate this in a way that makes sense spiritually, but it felt like for some people today, God wants you to be in a position ready to catch something from him. Some of you need a change or a miracle or a breakthrough. And I want to encourage you to be in a posture ready to catch what the Holy Spirit has for you. And it's, it's kind of a more of a something you're going to do less physically, more spiritually that will manifest physically. I want to catch God what it is. And I know in my life, there was a moment where I had an encounter with God. I caught something and it completely changed me. So I was not motivated by because of parents or because of culture, it was because God deposited something in my spirit and it changed me forever. And I think back through history, Herr Mordecai preaching off the back of a truck, a young Billy Graham in the audience catches something from God and it changes the world. Amy Sempe McPherson catches something from God, starts a whole denomination. There's all these people throughout history, John Wesley, all these amazing uh, men and women of God that have done incredible things. They caught something and it changes their life and it changes many other people's lives. I wonder if, if some of us need to be in a posture ready to catch something from God. Amen. You have to have faith for that. You have to have an expectation that God is going to match your hard season with something above and beyond what you can imagine way better than where you're at right now. If you're in a prison and you're trapped mentally or physically or emotionally or spiritually, God has something tenfold for you to catch. So I pray you catch that in anticipation to catch what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Well, here's my story. Last night I was sitting on the couch and watching TV, just thinking over my message, and I hear a scream from Beckett's room. And then Ellie runs in, and there's, uh, there's, a, there's a loud voice comes from Ellie. Mark, 
there's a huge spider. Is anybody afraid of spiders? Why? <laughs> so I said, uh, turns out, I go and have a quick look, and it's the size of a dime. <laughs> it's huge. I looked this morning. I couldn't find it, so it might be under your bed, Beckett. I don't know. <laughs> might be. I don't know. So that got me thinking about a list of animals. I haven't done a top 10 list in a while. So here is a list of animals that you should actually be scared of. These are the most lethal creatures. None of them are from Australia, by the way. <laughs> These are the most lethal animals to humans. See so if you can guess the 10th most dangerous animal on earth to humans. You're never going to guess. A lion. Who said a lion? Oh. How many people do you think tragically lose their lives a year? 200 people lose their lives to a lion. How many, uh, number nine, hippos. <laughs> hippos, would you believe that? Hippos. I mean, 500 people a year. Uh, number eight, elephants. Elephants, uh, 600 people a year lose their lives to an elephant. I would never think about this. There's a theme here, and there's a continent, Ellie, that you were born on. Number seven, crocodiles. Crocodiles, 1,000 people a year lose their lives to crocodiles. I, I never, never even would have imagined that. Uh, number six, scorpions. Crocodiles, 1,000. Scorpions, 3,300. I would have never thought that. Number five, I never, never even heard of this one, and you're going to see a picture on the screen, assassin bugs. Have you heard of an assassin bug before? Never heard of it. 10,000 people a year. I don't even know how they do it. I don't know. I think I, I hear they're from the Bay Area. <laughs> I don't, I haven't heard that. Number four, this is sad. Dogs. Dogs because of rabies. 59,000 people a year. Do you, have you ever, is, are these statistics blowing your mind? Uh, number three, snakes. Oof. Not the lollies candy that you get. 138,000 people a year from snakes. So next time you're up uh, on the trail, walk around. Number two, now, this is not an animal, but sadly, human beings cause 400,000 deaths a year. That's kind of shocking, right? And they say, the world's getting better. And number one, we can all guess. Mosquitoes, yeah. Mosquitoes, of course, mosquitoes. It's, again, sad. 725,000 people a year die from mosquitoes. And I looked over that list and I thought, well, what is the most dangerous threat to my existence, my life? And without, without question, the greatest threat to your calling and the will of God and your eternity is the enemy trying to steal, kill and destroy. It's not just about dying, it's about how we lived and how we lived in Christ. 
And I think in this age, there's billion-dollar industries devoted to keeping people younger so that they can live longer. But it's not, I don't think, necessarily about how long you live, although I want to live long. It's actually how we lived and in whose name we lived and having that relationship with Christ. And the Bible says very specifically that the enemy is real and he has a job description and it's to steal, kill and destroy. And it's it's on so many levels what he wants to steal, unfathomable, what he wants to kill and what he wants to destroy in our lives. And we can get caught up in the temporal and miss the big picture of the season in which God has a sin and what God's doing. And so... This brings me back to helping me understand what is actually happening and what my life is actually about. And I think our human bodies are amazing. It's incredible how our bodies can heal itself and how our bodies can repair and how doctors and surgeons guide that process of what the body is going through that process. 1 Corinthians uh, 6.19 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. We are amazingly a temple of the Holy Spirit, but yet at the same time, temporal in this body form. So I love how Kurt puts it. We are a human body having a spiritual, we are a spiritual being having a human experience. This body is temporal. It's going to pass away. And I don't mean to be heavy, but one day we'll all breathe our last breath, which makes me ask the purpose question and makes me think beyond myself, not just the here and now, but if this is just a breath, just a moment, and eternity is forever, if eternity is forever, then I want this to count in the perspective of God. And this stirs up for me. It contextualizes what we're talking about today, the spiritual gift of evangelism. If this is but a breath and eternity is forever, how significant is the spiritual gift of evangelism and the impact that it can have on someone's eternity? And how important it is that we are obedient. I pray that we would all feel God's heart for people. To be in relationship with people. But also knowing that God will not cross that line of taking our free will away. Forcing us to choose him and become a robot. He won't do that. And so God chooses to partner with people like us. Using the spiritual gift of evangelism to reach people and do everything he can through us so that they can be right reconciled back to him. Aren't you glad that happened for you? Aren't you glad about your salvation moment where you encountered Christ? The lights came on. And this is not a, 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 a religious or a, a in the bad sense or a, I'm forced to do it or I'm part of this because that's what I've always known. No, Jesus comes alive. It's different and it's incredible. We are amazingly a temple of the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, temporal in this body form. So I believe that kingdom-minded people filter and prioritize life decisions by eternity. 
I would highly recommend you take a photo of that if you're a note taker or write that down. Because what I'm saying here, it's not the only way in which we filter life, obviously. But when we have a kingdom mindset and we don't think just in the context of here and now, and we think, well, hang on. How does this matter in the context of eternity? How is this decision I'm going to make now going to affect in the context of eternity? You know, there are decisions that I restrain from and there are things that I will not do because I know those things will have an impact on eternity and a negative impact. There are things that I don't want to do that I will do because I know it will have an impact on eternity. This might be a shock to you, but every Sunday, I don't wake up every Sunday of the year and go, hallelujah, and get excited for church. There are some mornings when it's cold, and I'm tired, and I don't want to be here in the rain at 6.30 in the morning, emptying a big smelly truck, which I'm grateful for in Jesus' name. But there are mornings where I don't feel like that, but I make a decision because I filter my decision through the impact that it's having on eternity. Because... I don't know, but God knows that maybe the today, this day, someone encounters Christ in a significant supernatural way and their life's changed forever. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a Billy Graham's here today and we just don't know it. Someone's going to change the world. And thank God that a bunch of guys and some gals got up early in the morning to bump in so that we could have a God encounter. I think it's all worth it. Kingdom-minded people filter and prioritize life decisions by eternity. In other words, Mark is not trying to fit into the culture. I will relate to the culture, but we are changing the culture. We don't become slaves to the East Bay lifestyle. No, we are children, men and women of God, servants of him. What does he want us to do? But doesn't mean we still don't play football and do soccer and do all the fun things. We still do that. We don't become crazy, a crazy cult. We just understand, we prioritize our decisions through a kingdom perspective. Amen? So today we are going to talk about the spiritual gift of evangelism. Here is a biblical definition of an evangelist. An evangelist on the screen, someone who proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ and that salvation comes by faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's what an evangelist is. By the way, please don't go to your dictionary because the dictionary says that an evangelist is someone who tries to convert people to their religion. We don't try to do that. We're not trying to convert people. We're trying to introduce them to Christ. And then when they meet Christ, they make their decision. You can't convert anyone. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth. We sow the seeds, the Holy Spirit does the work. And so we don't become religious fanatics. What we do is we be obedient fanatics and say, God, what would you have me say? How can I serve this family? How can I encourage this person so that they truly encounter God? Uh, the word evangelist only appears in the Bible three times. Would you believe it? And of course, the famous one, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Acts 2 is the second time, Acts 21, 8. And the next day they went, and the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea and entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. Uh, 3 is 2 Timothy 4, 5. It says, but 
uh, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I believe that that is an instruction to all of us. Now, you may say, I don't feel like I have the gift of evangelism, sharing the good news about who Jesus is. You may say that, and that's totally okay. But I would say, on the same side, it is still our responsibility. I don't believe that the gifts are the responsibility of the Sunday platform of the pastor. It is the equipping of the people. God uses the church. Mark by himself cannot reach all of your friends. Amen? But God wants to use all of us. And imagine if all of us just completely devoted and dedicated the impact that we can see and that we can have. So here's a good question. How do I know if I have the gift of evangelism? I would say this. Number one, you are concerned for the lost. You're concerned about it. See, someone might say I have the gift of prophecy. And they can kind of make it about how accurate they are, where they hear from God or a word of knowledge and, and it makes them feel good. But the evangelist, and that's in the negative sense, but the evangelist is concerned about the lost person, them encountering God. Amen? Number two is they are concerned for the lost. <laughs> Amen? And of course, number three, I'm motivated to seek out and reach the lost. This is the heart of an evangelist. And I think that within every person, there should be at least a portion, at least the mustard seed of faith in each of us, where we think about in the context of eternity, that it matters. It should matter. There should be that little in you. Mm. You know what? I wish... I wish they knew and they could hear. And I think that's good. Stir that thing up. Use that to motivate your prayers. Use that to be inspired to reach people who have not yet heard. And of course, it's in wisdom and maturity and timing. A mature evangelist will know that maybe I'm not the right person to reach this person. Let's get that person because that would be a great connection. Because it's not all about me. It's all about them encountering God. Uh, you might see this, and this might be your experience. And I thought that I would put this in, and, I, and it's important too, because I would say where we are in the world right now, a lot of people have had negative experiences with the church. They've had negative experience with Christians who are somewhat over the top. Has anybody ever met someone like this? They are in your face. And they are, if you don't repent, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. And this person has no concept. They're just sitting there <laughs> eating their lunch, not realizing what's going on. And there's some younger, immature people who have an evangelistic gift can kind of leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And so I would say evangelists can be from different spectrums. First, an evangelist is definitely counterculture. They don't care. They don't care what you think. They don't care what people say about them behind their back. They're very bold. They're very in your face. They're very confident. And it's not a personality type, by the way. This is, it's not a personality. This is a conviction that's in their heart. And this is how they come across. They can be intense. They can be passionate. And they can be annoying. 
right? Was there an evangelist that annoyed you into your salvation? <laughs> Is anyone there out there like that? Not in the Bay Area, huh? Must be those Australians down there. Evangelists are bold, bold. In other words, evangelists can range from expression in, uh, from a street pe- preacher to an apologist who gives and a defense of the faith. It's, it's funny how this gift manifests, how people come across it. You can have, uh, for example, I want to show a short clip here. This would be, this is nothing about intellect here, but this is an example of someone who encountered Christ and their life is completely, radically on fire for Jesus. And this is the expression of it and this is how they live their life. So this guy here. Is that beautiful? (laughs) That guy loves God. And that is an expression of evangelists. Now, I would not invite him to speak at Salesforce. (laughs) But maybe some people there might be moved by that. I don't know. But he seems like his heart is just so pure. Now, here's another expression of an evangelist, exactly the same spiritual gift on the screen. Is free will possible if God knows all our thoughts and actions beforehand? I I think it certainly is. Some people have adopted a viewpoint called theological fatalism, which says that if God foreknows what you're going to do, then you are fated to do it, and therefore everything happens necessarily. This, however, I think commits an elementary logical fallacy. It reasons as follows. Necessarily, if God foreknows that I will do X, then I will do X. Premise two, God foreknows that I will do X. Three, therefore, necessarily, I will do X. That commits a fallacy in modal logic. All that follows from the two premises is that you will do X, but not that you will necessarily do it. You could refrain. And if you were to refrain then God's foreknowledge would have been different. There's nothing about God's merely knowing about something in advance that takes away my freedom to do otherwise. Okay, I'll have to go home and think about that for a minute. (laughs) Okay. I think I'm going to have to go home and think about that as well. But just as beautiful expression of someone giving a defense of who Christ is with an apologetic evangelistic heart... And I would say that it is beautiful and we need to run in the lane in which how God has anointed us. And we, not, and we must not criticize the method of someone else and how that gift is being expressed, lest we be judgmental and 
condemn and tear down and pull that poor person's heart out. I'd like you to listen to the first guy's heart now of why he is the way he is and the passion that he has. They give it like, just course. Like, I don't, like, don't want to give it the way they want me to give it because they want to change you. Right. Do it like this, do it like that, do it like this. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. If I can't worship Jesus the way I worship me, I don't want to be over there. People look at me and be like, oh, he's, a, uh, he's an example of God. But he's sold out. I don't want God to look bad. Jesus Christ, he can never look bad. But in my, in my own little heart that God gave me, I'm like, God, I ain't going to do that because I love you. I'm not gonna, I'd, rather, I'd rather love you in a tent and be poor and be able to Jesus Christ and have nothing than to be in a big house and not be able to say it when I want to. A lot of people wouldn't be able to do that, man. They wouldn't. I, 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 think, I think that's why God don't elevate people because they wouldn't be able to. God ain't going to elevate somebody that loves him, elevate him to here, and then and then because you elevate it here, that anointing crushes you because now you get all the money and everything and now you're not you no more because you want to do it for like $5 million so you're going to change. No. Oof. God's not going to put you there because he knows you can't handle it. But he'll put somebody here that everybody thinks is foolish. Isn't that just beautiful? So awesome that the expressions, I think, of how the spiritual gifts reach people are unique. And you know what? God knows how to position the right person in the right place to reach someone. God just wonderfully does that. But I want to encourage us is this, is don't let fear and insecurity shut down your conversations, your godly conversations with people because you'll be worried about what people will think because your style's not right. You have to let your style grow. You have to let those words come out of your mouth. Do not let the world or the enemy put a guard over your mouth and stop you from speaking out the greatest treasure that you have, the greatest relationship you have. In fact, I love what Tap said last week, is we try to, in shame and guilt, hide our sin and run from it as far as possible and put on this posture of, uh, I'm amazing, I'm incredible, and, and I'm all together, and I'm, and I'm making it happen. No. He, he said, tell them about, that's who you used to be, and look what God's done. Look who I am now. Look what Christ, this is how good God is. And I think that is just such an awesome treasure that we can give to people. We can share our heart, you know, and you'll know. You'll know the people that God brings before you when to speak up. You'll feel it. You'll sense it. You'll feel God's heart beckoning for that person. You'll feel God's heart leaping. You'll feel the spirit of God within you saying, have the conversation even if you're, an entre- uh, if you're an introvert, it doesn't matter. Even if you're an uh, ex- extrovert, it doesn't matter. Because I'll say evangelism is not a personality type. It's a spiritual gift. It's not a personality type. Evangelists are not the people that you would think are car salesmen or they are... Um, entrepreneurial or their big personalities and loud, although that's what sometimes we see and gets put on the stage. Evangelism manifests in many different ways. It can be in a quiet park bench with a friend and for some reason this time you guys went deep and the person opened up and then evangelism took place and they sensed and felt God's heart. Amen? You know, uh, at home, we've been dealing with an issue, and it's an issue that's been bugging me now for about eight years, 
it is a leak in our roof. It's horrible. And no matter what I do, no matter how many times I've tried to fix it, the water just keeps coming. So we had a skylight, a sunroof put into our kitchen, and we get fantastic light. It's awesome. But every year, the contractor will come who installed it. He'll rip up all the stuff on the roof. He'll put out a big blowtorch and blow it, seal it back up, and then sure enough, it doesn't rain. <laughs> so we never get to test if it's fixed or not. The next year rolls around, and of course you all know that it hasn't really rained a lot in the Bay Area, and when it does, it, when it rains, it pours. And so the following year, it'll rain, and of course there'll be another leak. And then we'll have to lift the roof up again and fix it again. They came back, and of course it didn't rain again, and we went for the next year. And this goes on until the end, I eventually said to myself, I'm taking matters into my own hands. <laughs> These hands, God, although they are not good at the work of craftsmanship, they are willing. <laughs> I went up onto the roof. My first strategy was to buy the flex tape. Have you guys ever heard of the flex tape? <laughs> Check out on the screen for just one moment. This is me on my roof every winter. Up to the surface, instantly. Very passionate. The and I want you the to know something. Grips on tight and Listen to what he says. He's, a, he's so strong. It even works underwater. That's a lie. <laughs> Lies, lies, lies. Every single bit of that is not true. You stick it on, it floats away off into the distance with a rain. I'm like, the distance between what's on that screen and what happens in reality is as far as the east is from the west. It's not possible. So then I got the spray-on flex kind of stuff and you spray it around the sunroof. I put tape on and I taped a thing on. Nothing happened. I realized something. Water finds a way. If there's at the tiniest of little crack, water finds a way. Ellie mentioned we had a church Christmas um, uh, party last night, volunteered and uh, people. We came together and I had this little barrel I wanted to put the drinks in, so I got some tape and had this great strategy. I put tape that way, then I put one that way on the side, I put one that way, then I put one across the top of the that ways, and I put one across the bottom, and I thought, that's got to hold it. I put the water in the bucket, and then right at the tiny corner, the water's just leaking out. Water finds a way. No matter what I did, no matter how much I tried, water kept finding a way. Now you've got the Samaritan woman in John 4.13 says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I've realized that through the gift of evangelism, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you because he is relentlessly trying to find a way to reach people, no matter what season they're going through, we're going through, water finds a way. How much more powerful is living water that transforms people? The Holy Spirit wants to find a way. He's seeking. He's coming from different angles. He's using different people. He's exposing them through songs, through movies. Even rocks are crying out. To reach people, water will find a way. Living water wants to find a way into people's hearts. And even us right now, Holy Spirit is finding angles and ways to get into our soul, to get us out of our rut and out of our stuck season 
so that we can be mobilized to continue to be the army of God. That's what we've called to become. The army of God. Yes, the church is a hospital. Yes, the church is a bride. But let's not forget, we're an army. We must not live defeated and think, you know what, it's too hard in the Bay Area. There's too many degrees around here. People are too smart. They're too intellectual. No, living water will find a way. The Holy Spirit, using the gift of evangelism, will find a way to reach people. That means that my thinking must never B, it's too hard. It's impossible. It cannot shift. It must never become that. It must always be, if I'm alive, then there's hope in Christ. Because of who Jesus is, we have hope to see people reached. I want to say, I want to let you in on a little secret. He wants it more than you do to see that person saved. God wants to reach that person more than you do. I pray that I would never be the disobedient person that potentially takes away an opportunity for someone to hear. I pray that I would never miss that. And I pray that we would feel the heaviness of that. We would feel the heaviness of the fact that life is short, it's temporal, and eternity is long. We have to, if there's anyone who carries the depth and the revelation of that, on a foundation of love, not guilt, on a foundation of God's love, we would be the church that knows that. We would sense that. And so, therefore, we would go out and try to make sense of this crazy world in the Holy Spirit because he will guide us and he will help us reach the unreachable. You know, it doesn't make sense that the first person the Messiah revealed himself to was a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. That doesn't make sense. Why would he reveal himself to a Samaritan woman? If I was one of the 12 disciples, and let's say my role was marketing, <laughs> and I want to reach everybody, then we're going straight to government. We're going straight to the net media networks, the Herald Times. That's where we're going. We're going to put an ad in the newspaper, and we're going to reach people. That's what we're going to do. And here's the problem, is I'm thinking like a man, but yet somehow... After the fact, she was considered inferior because of her ethnicity, because of her relational status with all of the men. But somehow, God chose to put the people that people would think is unreachable. Do you know what I love about evangelism? It crosses all of the social media and social injustice movements that are happening in our culture right now. Evangelism crosses every single one of those lines. Not one of those lines the gospel is held back by. Right. We are the church. Right. We are God's people. We are an army of God. And we don't go, well, I'm only going to reach people who look and sound like me. I'm only going to reach people of same wealth and capacity as me. No, the gospel has, and an evangelistic gift has an eye for the person who's down and out and the person who's on and upward. For the person praying desperate prayers to the person who has answered prayers. The gospel crosses every single one of those barriers because water finds a way. The Holy Spirit will use us. So prepare to be uncomfortable. 
Prepare to be in spaces and places that you did not intend to be. Why? Because the gospel finds a way. Living water finds a way to reach down into the depths and pull out of the miry clay back into life so that someone can have a healthy, strong, eternal relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.